the oldest man who ever lived, died before his father did. How can that be true? This morning I'm going to speak about Enoch. And there's not a lot of information in Scripture about Enoch, but I believe there's enough information that we can get uh, at least one message. I'm sure we could get more if we thought about it. Uh, Enoch, an example of how believers should be living at the end of earth's history. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for all of your gifts. We've just been singing about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. What a tremendous mystery, Lord. We don't pretend to understand many of the, the deep things that belong to you. But what has been revealed, Lord, we want to to run with that. We want to be an equivalent of an Enoch. We want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ wherever he should lead us. Be with us in our worship service through your Holy Spirit. As we open your word, as we think about some of these truths, please show us how to apply them to our lives. And may Jesus come soon, for in his name we pray. Amen. Take a Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 5. First book in the Bible, chapter 5. Before we start reading in chapter 5, <clears throat> I want you to understand a little bit of the background. The human race is dividing. There's a division between the wicked and the righteous between those rebelling against God, often called the Canaanites, and the righteous, those obeying God, they are the loyal ones. So there is a godly line of human beings who take God seriously, who take God at his word. Seth is one of the most important names who carries on this type of family line. He's mentioned in Genesis 4, 25, and in the beginning of chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. And in Genesis 4, 26, it says, at that time, men began to call or proclaim the name of the Lord. People like Seth, Enoch, Methuselah, Noah, these were godly people from this godly line. Eventually, Messiah would emerge later down the road. But God always has people who are going to do what is right and speak for him and live for him. And as imperfect as somebody like Noah is, for example... It, the scriptures still say that Noah was a righteous man and Noah walked with God. And of course, we don't read, as far as I know, anything negative about Enoch, but he was also somebody that walked with God. You see, as God is developing this godly line, he wants, to, he wants men to be remade in the image. Yes, there was the Garden of Eden. Some of us spent quite a while talking about that this morning. But you only, only get through two chapters in Genesis before sin's coming in, in chapter 3. So sin 
changes the whole equation. What is perfect, what is beautiful and gorgeous, can now, or the blessing can be turned into a curse. Created in God's image, blessing. Perfect nature, that's the, the emphasis that's given there in the early chapters of Genesis. But created in Adam's image, curse. Imperfect nature. The scriptures say in chapter 5, it's very interesting how this is worded. Go to Genesis chapter 5. It says, this is the account of whose line? Adam's line. And it talks about this creation of man, made in his likeness, created male and female. And God blessed them, and they were created, and they were called man, or man, mankind. And then notice this. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image. He named him Seth. And after Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived 930 years. And then what happened? He died. And I'm not going to read all these verses in chapter 5 because you'll be sleeping before I finish. But notice at the end of this verse here in verse 5, then he died. Then we read about Seth. Read verse 8, the end. We're always looking at the end. Then he died. Then we look at somebody called Enosh in verse 9 and in verse 11. Then he died. Kenan. Then he died. Mahalalel. They had interesting names in those days, didn't they? And then verse 17, he died. Jared, how long did he live? They had long lifespans, but then he died in verse 20. Do you get the idea? The person is named, they tell you how long they lived, and then they died. Then we come to verse 21 through 24 and find something very different. When Enoch had lived 65 years, became the father of Methuselah, and after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God. 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was no more because God took him away. And if it meant that God took him out, which he doesn't say that, then it would say that he died, but he didn't die. Where did he go? And it mentions twice in these verses that he walked with God. He walked with God. It says that Enoch the man, at age 65, became a father. Right? Any fathers in the house? And have any fathers in the house felt closer and closer to God because of having children. Well, actually, the men don't have the children, do they, ladies? But you know what I'm talking about. And it seems, at least according to the writings of Ellen G. White, that when Adam would, when Enoch, rather, would look into the face of that child and see how dependent that child was upon help, on the parent, and how 
how much love the parent had for the child. See, that's something that you and I, well, many of us can relate to, right? These are deep, deep emotions that come within us. Then Enoch started to gain new insights into his relationship with God. And his relationship got sweeter and deeper. And that's what the scriptures mean when it says, or part of what it means when it says that he walked with God. She says, after the birth of his first son, Enoch reached a higher experience. Isn't that what you and I want to have? He was drawn into a closer relationship with God. He realized more fully his own obligations and responsibility as a son of God. And he saw the child's love for its father, its simple trust in his protection as he felt the deep yearning tenderness of his own heart for that firstborn son. He learned the precious lesson of the wonderful love of God to men in the gift of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the confidence which the children of God may repose in their heavenly father. The infinite, unfathomable love of God through Christ became the subject of his meditations day and night. And with all the fervor of his soul, he sought to reveal that love to the people among whom he dwelt. In the time of Enoch, as we've already mentioned, there was a lot of ungodliness, a lot of un wickedness. We do not believe that these were primitive, ape-like creatures. We believe that they were originally made in the image of God and that they had tremendous powers having been made in the image of God. And of course, even though sin had greatly affected them, they were still noble and majestic in many respects. But of course, the more, the more brilliant you are, perhaps the more you can get into the ways of wickedness. So we make our choices. We either walk with God, as Enoch did, take this faith seriously, constantly ask God to give us deeper and deeper insights, deeper and deeper love. Lord, I love you, but help me to love you even more. Lord, I have faith in you, otherwise I wouldn't be talking about Jesus, but increase my faith. This should be natural for us to be thinking and talking this way as we connect with God. Yes, now we see through a glass, as Paul says, darkly. And one day, when Jesus comes, it will be face, face to face. But in the meantime, we have to learn how to walk and depend upon him. Notice also that as this father, he had other sons and daughters too. I uh, don't know if, if they're mentioned or not. Uh, notice, as a side, side issue perhaps, that a person that is living a godly, holy life can certainly do it within a matrimonial relationship. 
unlike the Catholic Church, we don't believe that you have to go into a monastery and be separate from everybody else to live a godly life. The Scriptures teach we are to permeate society. Yes, there's times, maybe many times, when we have to come apart. There's certainly times when the TV needs to go off, right? Just got Sonia's response to that. Is this heresy or something I'm preaching? The TV does have an on-off switch, right or wrong. And if it doesn't have that, you have a remote. It can go off. And if you can't get it off, then you go to Frank's house and you borrow his sledgehammer. And you find a way of getting that thing off. Because you and I need quiet time with God. And that will mean different things because we're all living somewhat different forms of life. But you and I have to build in to our lifestyle these times when you can just shut out all the hubbub, all the worries, all the cares of this world, whatever it is that's affecting you at that time, and spend time with God. And apparently Enoch was very good at doing that. More and more he would want to get away from the ungodly and the wicked. And it does seem there in Genesis that the godly line tended to go more to the mountains and those types of places, and the un ungodly would dwell in uh, the, maybe the lower places. Um, and while that was happening, the godly line had a chance to develop the right way. But as soon as they started intermingling, as soon as the sons of God started marrying some of these, these daughters of the wicked, then everything changes. So God is always trying to develop a group of people. Sometimes we use the word remnant. That's not in these verses, but it is in other parts of Scripture where God is trying to develop a godly people. Think of, think of the godly line um, as, as your church, as your family or, or your church family. If you have a Christian family, then that you can start there and then you can expand it to your church family. But God wants us to learn the lessons of people like Enoch, Abraham, Noah, Seth, and develop these traits in our character where we truly are walking with him. Amos says, can two walk together except they be agreed? And the implication is no. No, they, they cannot. This holy walk continued for 300 years, and there are few Christians, Ellen White says, who would not be far more earnest and devoted if they knew that they had but a short time to live or that the coming of Christ was about to take place. If we absolutely believe that, maybe we would start to take seriously what it means to walk with God. But she says, Enoch's faith waxed the stronger. His love became more ardent, more strong with the lapse of the centuries. Sometimes, in fact, I was talking with someone the other day, and they were saying how they like these young Christians who are fervent and excited and passionate about their faith. And I understand that, but it's still first love. It's precious, it's fresh, it's new, 
but it's not love and faith that has been tested. And with Enoch living over hundreds of years, it's a faith and a love and a relationship that is constantly being tested, that is constantly having to learn how to depend upon God. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what faith is. Um, and we're going to look at a text in Hebrew that talks about the importance of faith. Maybe this is a good place to do it. In Hebrews 11, turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. It's near the back of your Bible. And it's a long chapter that's talking about faith, but sometimes, and, it, and we call, actually call it the faith chapter, probably the most prominent faith chapter in the whole Bible. But I'm not always sure that we really understand what faith is and, and why that chapter has been written the way it's been written. So don't think of faith as just believing in God, as though it's just some some thought process that happens, yes, I believe in God, so therefore I have faith. Think of faith more getting in the wheelbarrow. Think of faith more as climbing on the back of the tightrope walker. Think of faith, dare I say this without being misunderstood, as obedience. Now, I know I have to be careful there, but I do think that the words that we're going to look at in Hebrew mean more than what we normally think of with faith. Now, the writer to the Hebrews wrote to a church community that was really feeling pressure. Pressure from their society, probably pressure from family, from relatives. It was a, probably a Jewish community and these people had sacrificed for Christ. They had had their possessions taken. They had suffered for Christ. But it's like as time would go on and Jesus hadn't come back, this pressure was building to kind of a boiling point. And some of them were getting ready to throw in the towel and to take the easier way back of Judaism. So in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews says this. In chapter 10, he says in verse 35, this is just putting our verses into context. So you do not throw away, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. Is that faith? Is that an aspect of faith? It is. It is. See, anyone can say they have faith at the beginning of the race. And we don't really know whether that's true or not. We hope it's true. If they talk about Jesus and live for Jesus at the beginning of the race, why, why wouldn't we think it's true? But what if they give up halfway through the race, then at least we would say their faith was very weak, would we not? And maybe we could even question whether it was genuine faith or not. Genuine faith perseveres. 
You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming, who is that? Jesus will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will, will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. So it's very easy from these few verses alone to conclude that the one who hangs in there through thick or thin, no matter what the old devil's going to throw at you, what this world will throw at you, to slow you down, to discourage you, or whatever, you are going to persevere with the Lord Jesus Christ. And hey, if you're in the middle of Niagara Falls, you're going to have to trust in someone if you're in the wheelbarrow. Right? That is not the time to say, Blonde in, I'm out of here. And so if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And this is what the ancients were commended for. Now these ancients would be people like Seth, Noah, Enoch, Abraham, and many others that are mentioned through chapter 11, and some, of course, that are not even mentioned, some that, that are not even recorded in Scripture. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. Can we prove that? But we believe and trust in a creator God. And we were talking about that this morning, many of us. We cannot prove it, but it makes a whole lot of sense to us. And scripture says it, and so we believe it. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered a greater sacrifice than Cain did. And then in verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. So there it is. There it's more clear, perhaps, than we have in Genesis. Apparently, one of the things that, that Enoch, and I'm sure many others of, his, of the godly people were thinking, is we live this righteous life, we do the things that, we try to do the things that God wants us to do, but we have the same reward as everybody else. We go back to the dust. And so, with that concern in his mind, God did something which seemed very, very unusual. What did God do? God took him into heaven. Enoch walked with God. And as someone has said, he was so close to God's home that God says, just let's carry on. And took him in to heaven. And people would be searching around for Enoch, just probably like they searched for Moses and, and others who had been buried or disappeared or were suddenly gone. And they searched and they searched and they searched. Did they find him? No. Enoch had just disappeared. 
And here it says explicitly, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. So I'm glad that it has this little phrase that he didn't experience death because then we know that this man was living forever with God in heaven. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. This man who had faith, who walked with God, who pleased God, who pleased God, was a man who trusted in the ways of God. But the point is here that he trusted in something that he, he was invisible, something that was hard to understand. I've often said to you before, this is not about understanding. I, I hope that you have as much understanding as is possible for an intelligent human being to have on this earth. But we are in a different category when we talk about faith than understanding, are we not? There must be some kind of knowledge of God to come to him. Yes, agreed. Does that knowledge come through scripture? Does that knowledge and understanding come through seeing something of the power of God in nature? Well, it seems to me when Jesus talks about um, being born again in John 3, he uses the idea of the wind. Do you remember that account there when he's talking to Nicodemus? The wind blows where it will. You don't know where it comes from, where it's going. So it seems to me as everyone who is born of the Spirit and who knows, who knows God, who can truly say that they're walking with God. There's mysteries that you don't understand, but somehow you're drawn. I know for me, being drawn to God was like, like a magnet just pulling me in a certain direction. Now, I didn't know where that direction was going to take me. I wasn't sitting down and analyzing this stuff. But God, in his own unique, mysterious way, was pulling and drawing and calling me to himself. Some of you understand what that means when I talk about that? Anybody? Anybody out there been saved? All right, a few of you. All right, so God woos and God draws, and it's not so much an analytical thing. It's just more of a mysterious process that goes on. Um, some light comes in, in the darkness, and you walk towards the light. And as you keep walking and walking and following, the light gets brighter and brighter and brighter until in the end you're face to face with Jesus Christ who says he is the light, he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. And then, of course, it's, it's, um, it's a big decision time then. Am I going to embrace? Am I going to carry on walking in this direction? Or am I going to go in some other direction? When you're being wooed, when you're being called, this is not the same as being saved. But it's moving you in a certain direction. And if you do not resist that, if you do not fight that, you will just go, fall into the hands of, in the arms of a loving God and hopefully follow him wherever he leads you. So our text here in Hebrews 11, um, by faith Enoch was taken from this life. He did not experience death. He couldn't be found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And this, I think, gives us a little bit more information on faith, but it also gives us a little bit more information on Enoch. Verse 6, 
Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. Did he not believe that God exists? Yes. But how did he believe that he existed? Not in the sense of just saying, you know, if someone came to his door, knocked on Enoch's door with a survey and says, do you believe in God? Yep. Why not? Makes sense. Not, not, not like that at all. He'd, he'd been probably listening to Adam. There was a lot of cross-generations here. These people lived for long periods of time. As far as we know, there was no written records at this period in history, but a lot of oral transmission. These people had great minds, great memories. There also probably was the Garden of Eden as a, as a witness to the original creation and the fall, because those angels would be guarding the Garden of Eden. And so there probably was, even though there was this ungodliness, that you couldn't be too skeptical about, about the story of the fall, because the garden was still there. And, and someone like Adam was still living and could, could testify to the truthfulness and could convey a true story to someone like Enoch. And Enoch, as he heard these things, he believed. And as he believed, he followed. And as he followed, he walked and was obedient to God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And what a reward for Enoch. Immortality. Eternal life. Now, all sorts of questions come into my mind when I hear stories like that. What would have happened if Jesus hadn't gone through and died on the cross? Would Enoch be tossed out of heaven? Well, the Bible doesn't deal with those issues, does it? One of the texts that we need to look at, the book of Jude, right before the book of Revelation. Did you know that Enoch, this godly man, had revelations and visions and dreams from God? God showed him things. And I believe, I believe that with some of these godly people, God showed them things that would maybe how things originally were, where things went horribly wrong with sin and the fall, and how these things would be worked out in history. Ultimately, the Lord Jesus Christ coming back to this world. So in the book of Jude, verses 14 and 15, what chapter? Just seeing if you're still awake. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, so the man was a prophet, prophesied about these men, see the Lord is coming, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones, probably talking of angels, not talking of raptured saints, to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts that they have done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. You see, you still have the godly line and the ungodly line. 
You had it in Enoch's day, and you have it at the end of the age. Nothing has really changed. You have two groups of people on planet Earth. The righteous, the godly, those that are following the ways of God before Jesus Christ and after Jesus Christ. Right? We don't make any distinction there. Yes, those after Jesus Christ have much more truth and revelation and understanding and the New Testament and, and all of that sort of thing and the, the whole Old Testament. Enoch had no Bible. And he was one of the most godliest men, godly follower of Jesus Christ and, and God that he entered heaven. So here he's, a, the, he's making the prophetic message. There's going to be a judgment day. Do we still believe that as Seventh-day Adventists? Second coming of Christ is the king coming back to judge, to gather his subjects. Think of a king in Old Testament times, who would, who would in, in olden times rather, who would go out and he would try and uh, the city would be defended and he would attack the city. Maybe let's use the example of Nebuchadnezzar with, with uh, Jerusalem. He would attack the city. They would do everything to defend it. And eventually they would be defeated. The king would take his, his, his uh, vengeance on them. Some of the leaders would die. Sometimes they would die horrible deaths. And they would take many of the people captive. And he would come back to the city and celebrate. Well, something like that on a global scale happens when the king of kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes back. It's more clearly explained in the book of Revelation than, than probably anywhere else. The king will come back to judge his people. He knows those that are his, so, but it's a judgment scene. And some will be gathered, the godly will be gathered, and go with the king wherever he goes, and the wicked will be destroyed. So it's, it calls, and it keeps using this word ungodly. There's a reason. It's, it's trying to tune us into something here to ju um, judge the ungodly in their ungodly ways with the harsh words that ungodly sinners have spoken against God. Can you think of all the blasphemy and the crazy stuff that comes out of people's minds or mouths when they talk about God? These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others about and so on. So you get the picture there. The godly line and the ungodly line. So Jesus is coming back. How do we know? Well, yes, he told us, but so did Enoch. And we're still waiting. Here's where faith and trust kicks in. How are we, wait, we waiting? Are we walking with God as Enoch did? Are we pleasing God as Enoch did? Do we have the same kind of faith and trust that Enoch had? He was a wonderful husband, no doubt. Father, citizen, prophet, spiritually passionate on fire for God. I don't believe for a minute that a young believer has better faith and fervor than a mature believer. I don't believe that. I don't believe that that's God's plan. I believe that those of you that have followed Christ for decades, none of us have followed Christ for hundreds of years like Enoch did. Can you imagine from what I've shared with you this morning that Enoch got lukewarm? Oh, well, here we go, another walk again. I don't know if I can go to church today. There's a little few drops of rain on the window. 
a bit on the cold side. Pathetic Laodicean excuses. Let's toss them out of the window. Let's shut the window and be done with that kind of stuff. And let's get passionate. I'm sure that God is more pleased. Now, God wants passionate and obedient believers. And sometimes when we're not obedient, we still need to be passionate. Whatever you do, do it with all your strength. So here we're talking about faith and trust, believing in God. I believe Enoch was a passionate man on fire for God. I don't believe for a minute that he was sinless. I don't believe for it. He, he was flesh and blood like you and I. He's trying to figure it out. But he seems to have figured it out really well. And of course, if we had more information on him like we have on Abraham, for example, then we would probably see, yes, there were times when, when he sinned, when he made mistakes. But what a wonderful example with the little information that we have of a man that was passionate and followed God. He pleased God. He had a faith relationship with God. That's what it means when it says that he walked with God and then he was finally translated to heaven. The scriptures teach we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command. wonder what he's going to say. You ever thought about that? What is the loud command? With a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So will we be with the Lord. How long? Forever. Forever is worth sacrificing for. Forever is worth giving some things up for God. Forever it's worth being passionate and fervent for the things of God. Let me wrap this up. Soon Jesus Christ will be here. There will be, like the scripture says, the resurrection of the, of the righteous, the godly. And there will be the translation of the living godly or righteous. Together they will go to meet the Lord in the air. We will be given the gift of immortality. We will be changed. That's probably what the scriptures means when it says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. Jehovah's Witness don't do justice to that passage. We will have a body like Christ's glorious body. And we will live with God forever. Here's what Ellen, how Ellen sums it up. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. So she's quoting Hebrews 11:5. In the midst of a world by its iniquity doomed to destruction, Enoch lived a life of such close communion with God that he was not permitted to fall under the power of death. The godly character of this prophet represents a state of holiness which must be attained by those who shall be redeemed from the earth at the time of Christ's second advent. And then as in the world before the flood, iniquity will prevail. Is it prevailing around us? Aren't you just, doesn't it blow your mind how wicked people can be? 
Imagine going and just beheading 20, 30 people, just leaving their bodies or hanging their bodies as an example, scaring the whole community. These things are happening not far away. And then as in the world before the flood, iniquity will prevail. Following the promptings of their corrupt hearts and the teachings of a deceptive philosophy, men will rebel against the authority of heaven. And I don't care how sophisticated they make it sound. It's rebellion against God. Anyone who is not following God, we've got to get away from this neutral stuff. You're either for him or you're against him. And if you're for him, you cast in everything with Jesus Christ, wherever he leads you. Deceptive philosophy, men will rebel against the authority of heaven. But like Enoch, God's people will seek for purity of heart and conformity to his will until they shall reflect the likeness of Christ. Like Enoch, they will warn the world of the Lord's second coming. Was Enoch a preacher as well as a prophet? Yes, he was. Did many listen? No, it seems that they didn't. Is it any different today? Now, I know there's some parts of the world that you can go and you can put your soapbox on a street corner and you can get 100 people and maybe 20 converts. There's amazing things still happening in the world. The Spirit of God has not left this world yet, right? But you know also how hard it is when you're witnessing to people and how little they seem to understand. So like Enoch, they will warn the world of the Lord's second coming of the judgments to be visited upon transgression. And by their holy conversation and example, they will condemn the sins of the ungodly as Enoch was translated to heaven before the destruction of the world by water, talking of the flood. So the living righteous will be translated from the earth before its destruction by fire. Says the apostle, we shall not all sleep, we, we, we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and so on. Quoting Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I don't know about you, but this is a very exciting time to be a Christian. Some of the greatest things that have ever happened in the Christian church history will happen with the last generation that lives on planet Earth. Somehow, someway, God will make it so that this gospel will go with power to the whole world. Every man, woman, boy, and girl is going to make their decisions for Jesus Christ. And, and to think that God wants to use you and I to preach and teach and live that message is amazing. Sinners like us. But that's exactly his plan. That's exactly his purpose. You and I can't play around with sin any longer. We've got to get rid of that stuff like I said before, throw it out the window and hopefully you've got good way of locking that window and never letting this stuff in. And where you're weak and where you're failing, well, this is where faith and trust will kick in. And when your prayer life can, can mature to the point where you sort, say, Lord, I don't even want to think this stuff, never mind do it, then you are, you are truly walking the Enoch walk. And that's what I want to do. I don't know what they're going to say on my, my epitaph. If Cecil lives longer than I, she might put something really cheeky on there. <laughs> but to have something like, he pleased God, he walked with God, that will suffice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much 
for this wonderful good news about Jesus Christ. He came to die for us so that we can live holy lives that are pleasing to you, that we can love to l learn to love you with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, and we can learn to love others, even the wicked, as we love ourselves. This truly is transformation, Lord. And we want to be transformed. We know that when Christ comes back, he will transform us into his own beautiful image, have a body like his body, have the gift of immortality, no more sickness, no more suffering, no more pain, no more separation. The old order of things has gone. All things are created new. Lord, help us to be part of this faithful people like Enoch. For in Jesus' name we pray. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.